Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Open our eyes and our ears to the wonderful things you want to teach us, not only about the things in our portion, but also about this day of Yom Teruah. We thank you, Father, for the things that you share and the things that you teach, the things you enlighten within us. In your son, Yahushua's name, we give thanks. Amen. Lord, if you could raise my voice just a tad, it would be awesome. So what are we going to talk about today? Obviously, we're going to talk about Yom Teruah. The biggest part of the service is talking about that, going over things about what this day is about, why it's significant. But also, we're going to talk about, instead of the Torah portion, I have a few slides about uh, our prophet portion in Isaiah that was I just felt inclined to share on it. But before I do, uh, I was thinking this week, Obviously, you all know that, you know, they come to Mount Sinai. They come to uh, this mountain at Shavuot. And between Shavuot and between the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, Moses goes up two separate times to get tablets. Each time is 40 days, right? There's 212 days between the two feasts. So there's 80 him up on the mountain, which leaves another 42 days. Let's just say 20-something days on each side of each 40. My point is, our brother Judah believes that uh, on the first day of the sixth month, 30 days ago, he went up to get to do the second set. Comes down on Yom Kippur with the second set to bring atonement for the nation. So I thought, since God does things on feast, feast days, wouldn't it be pretty amazing that while he's up there, he's already been up there 30 days, what if today is the day that the inscribing on the second set happens on this day. Be awesome. Be an awesome thing that God chooses this day to, it's a day of blasting, it's a day of blowing. What if the blasting was the words reappearing on the stone tablets? Just a thought for you to think about. Okay. If you want to turn to Isaiah 43.8, it says, this is our prophet portion in Isaiah 43. Bring out the people who are blind, even though they have eyes. So I'm reading out of the Septuagint, and it says the majority of the occurrences of the Hebrew word iwer indicate blindness in a figurative sense. All make promises relating to the restoration of sight to the blind. The similarity here is that all these passages reflect the scenario of what might be called a messianic charter referring to the healing ministry of the so-called suffering servant of Yahuwah. This servant figure comes in the person of Messiah, whose healing ministry literally give back sight to the blind, the people who are blinded spiritually, who don't see his Torah and what the prophet said in any light, in any Millennia. You could talk about today, you could talk about in Yeshua's day, you could talk about the day just prior to Josiah cleansing the land. So we have a spiritual blindness that has happened many, many times. And so both physically and spiritually, the figurative sense of blindness or spiritual dullness and hardness of heart is found primarily in the prophets. The one exception is Deuteronomy 28:29 where judgment for Israel's sin is described in terms of the people groping about in darkness just like the blind. Their curse is that they will lose their way. They'll no longer be on the lighted path, the straight and narrow. In a spiritual sense, for having rejected God. It is not a hopeless picture. However, for Jeremiah 31.8, it describes the blind in Israel as objects of eminent divine grace. The context of Jeremiah 31 makes it clear that these people will soon have their sight restored. Now, who is he talking about? Who is, 
He's speaking about a day today when a people are going to have their eyesight restored and the spiritual dullness is not going to be there anymore. That is, they will be returned to the land and renewed their relationship with Yahuwah. What a wonderful prophetic promise and picture of going from the blindness to now having eyes that see. Hallelujah. And then going on in that verse, the last half, verse, half of the verse says, and the deaf, even though they have ears. This term, uh, Haresh, deaf, occurs nine times, always refers to physiological deafness. In addition to the references in the Pentateuch and in Psalms, there are five occurrences in Isaiah. In four of these, the focus is on deliverance from deafness as one consequence of the fulfillment of Elohim's plan of salvation for his people. We just read that uh, he sends the prophets and they don't want to hear what he has to say. They actually kill them. They're tired of hearing the news that the prophets are bringing at the hand and at the voice of the Creator. Don't want to hear it. Deafness. And many of you have tried to tell your family members about your newfound uh, understanding, and they don't want to hear it. That's Khresh. Deafness. Don't want to hear it. Matter of fact, some of your family may say, I don't care what that scripture says. It's not going to change what I believe. Scary stuff. Such physical, physical healing was demonstrated in the coming of the Messiah, to which event each of their, these texts either directly or indirectly alludes. Then, finally in Isaiah 42, 19, deafness is attributed to the servant of Yahuwah. In this case, it is a metaphorical allusion to the people of Israel referring to their spiritual bankruptcy. Now, think of this. So this is referring to the, the blindness and the deafness is referring to the people of the day and it's talking about when a Messiah is going to come and restore that. What's amazing about what Yeshua did is he tells the apostles of John come to him and say, are you the one? And what does he say? Those that have eyes, blind see and those that cannot hear, hear. He's telling them that the one who was prophesied to come and heal these two spiritual deficiencies is he and he has come. And he's healing the deafness. Of course, it's happening in a literal physical sense, but he's speaking about this physiological, spiritual thing that's, that had happened to the people, that I have come to restore that back to my people that they will return to me in their heart and hear and see and return. That's the goal. I mean, it's one thing to heal real blindness and deafness, but does that get me into the kingdom? No. What he's interested in is healing the other part that's keeping them out. And I believe that's what Yeshua is referring to when he's speaking to John and the apostles, which they should, you know, it'd be obvious if you're reading the scriptures, if he's doing those things and healing the leper, this has to be he, right? Okay. If you have questions or comments, you can raise your hand. Mike will make its way to you. Going on in Isaiah, it says, All the nations have gathered together, and rulers will be gathered from among them. Who will declare these things? Or who will declare to you the things that were from the beginning? Let them bring their witnesses, and let them be justified and speak truths. He says, bring your witnesses. It's a court case here. Bring your witnesses. But watch what the Almighty says, continuing on in Isaiah. He says, you, all you guys, be my witnesses. I too am a witness, says Yahuwah Zevaot, Yahuwah Elohei, and the servant who I have chosen so that you might know and believe and understand that I am. Before me there is no other God, and there shall be none after me. So I couldn't get this out of my mind, this know and believe and understand that I am. I'm going to remind you what... The master says in John eleven twenty five. 25. Now remember, he says here, he's talking to people. This is Yode Vave speaking. So that you may know and believe and understand that I am. So the master says in John eleven twenty five. 25, he says, Yeshua said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. He says, I am the resurrection. Just like he says, I am. 
He all goes on to say uh, earlier in John 8, 24, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. He's repeating what he said in, to the prophet here in Isaiah, unless you believe that I am, you're going to die in your sins. So let's look at this word believe, because the word believe is meaning the same thing in John 8, 24, as it is over here in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah uh, 43, verse 10. And the word is aman. With only several minor exceptions, the meaning of aman centers on the concepts of belief, faith, and trust. Terms that are by and large synonymous. Aman means to believe in about 50 contexts. The majority of these convey the idea of belief in conjunction with faith. This belief and faith and trust are together unified. So in most churches, it's faith is by itself. You don't see trust and belief unified together. And so the majority of these, oh, I said that, such that the translations believe, have faith and trust are virtually interchangeable. With respect to belief in God, several examples stand out. Genesis 15, 6 contains the profoundly significant statement that Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. This belief on Abraham's part indicated a wholehearted commitment to and trust in the person of Elohim rather than a mere intellectual assent to a particular proposition. Wow. That means the same to in Isaiah's day as the master was saying it in his day. There's no difference. He's not, it's not some new belief. It's the same belief that he's telling in Isaiah's day that the master's trying to get across here, the same belief. Yes. If you focus in on the I am, <laughs> in the Hebrew, it's Aleph Tav. So therefore, he's letting you know who he is. Yep. And that's the smallest Hebrew word, yep. which is the title, which is the name. So this, this I am is very significant because it's literally, it can mean I exist. I will be who I be. I, I am. I mean, you can't put him in a box. He is who he is. And so this idea of belief, this intellectual proposition Deuteronomy 9.23 says, it refers to Israel's rebellion against God in failing to enter the land. The charge level against them is that they failed to believe God. That is, they failed to put their faith and trust in Him. 2 Chronicles 20.20 records Jehoshaphat's charge to the people of Jerusalem and Judah to believe in Yahweh their Elohim. It is a call to have faith and trust in Him. Now, I want to show you because... This Amon, I'm going to put it in a New Testament context, and I'm going to show you that belief and faith are connected to obedience. We've said it many, many times, but I'm going to show you again. In Romans 15:30, it says, I urge you, brothers, through our Master Yahushua Messiah, that through the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in prayers for me unto Elohim, that I might be delivered from those in Yehuda who do not believe. This word is apatheia, which is translated both unbelief and disobedience. The two meanings are clearly linked. So if unbelief and disobedience are synonymously the same, why would we think that belief and obedience would be any different? They are connected just like these two are. Belief and obedience are connected just as unbelief and disobedience is connected together. Logically, the mindset of unbelief may be said to have paved the way for the action of disobedience. <laughs> so our word is found in six places with, its with this ambiguity that we're talking about and your references you can see here. So I wanted to share with you what Isaiah is getting across because why am I talking about this belief and unbelief and disobedience and all these things is because in 10 days, this, this day is about awakening people out of a spiritual bankruptcy. Awakening people who are 
their balance is zero and the books are about to be opened and closed and they're about to lose out completely for eternity. And God's making a way. And we're going to talk about at the end of the service today, which I wept when I, God was reminding me again of the character traits of him, of who he is, and why he gives you all of this time. Really, it's from the first day of the sixth month. It's 40 days. But when that alarm sounds, he's given the world 10 days to, to get it right. I mean, who does that? I mean, when people come and, and, and they, uh, what's, what do they call the guy that takes the car from people? Repower. Does the repower give you a call uh, two days in advance and tell you, hey, I'm going to come take the car? No. He shows up sometimes when they're in the restaurant. He comes out and takes it. When they're not expected to come out of the restaurant, they're not there, right? Are you glad that your God does not do that to you? That he's going to give you and all humanity a chance in advance to get their act together, to bend their knee and bow and say, I have, I have sinned. I've walked against you. Forgive me. He's giving everyone this chance because he's merciful and he is long-suffering or patient. Some things that we can't quite grasp as people. And I'm speaking for myself. I've got people in my own household that can attest that I'm telling you the truth. We all have a deficiency in mercy and patience. And we need to learn from the Almighty what He's going to teach us today. Because this day is about patience. Ten days in advance, He's giving you and all humanity to come. Because there's people, we, we, we get the opportunity, a blessed opportunity, to know God. But there are people out there that have never heard a word of God's Word, who don't know a thing, and they're about to slip into eternity and miss it all. So, today is about Yom Teruah. Ralphie, I grabbed one of your graphics and did a little of my own twist to it, so thank you for the graphic of the man blowing the trumpet. <laughs> so Yom Teruah, if you want to read Nehemiah chapter 8, remember the people of Israel, the, the Judah, the, northern, or the southern kingdom, they've been in captivity for 70 years. And they've been released, just as God said, 70 years you're going to get released. They get released, they're coming back to the land. And they're so excited that God was patient, that God was merciful. Could God have kept them in captivity longer? Could God have wiped them out if he wanted? He could have done any of those things. But this is another testament of his mercy and his patience, his grace, right? So they're coming back, and Nehemiah 1 says, And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And most of these people have never even seen it because they were born over in captivity. The people who remember seeing this place, if it's 70 years, they've got to be 80, 90 or past, right? So they've all come, you know, they've heard the stories how beautiful this place is coming and probably shambles, right? And they're going, this is the beautiful place that you talk about? Grandma and Grandpa, I mean, come on. So they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the Torah of Moshe, which Yahweh had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the Torah before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month on Yom Teruah. Right now, right here. And so this is called a Shabbaton Zikron Teruah, a Sabbath memorial of blowing or sounding or a shout. Nehemiah 8 shows us what happened on Yom Teruah this day in history. Going on in Nehemiah 8, it says, He read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday. Some people say, man, why do they got to be there all that time? That's a long time to stand there and read. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the Torah. Couldn't wait to hear it. Ezra the scribe stood at the wooden podium which they had made for that purpose. It was called a migdol etz, a tree tower. Numbers 29.1 says, Now in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall also have a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work. It will be to you a day of blowing trumpets, a teruah, a mikra. Kodesh. So among the rabbis, the shofar is often associated with the coming of the Messiah 
and the resurrection of the dead as well. It is held that the shofar not only rouses the people from their complacency and slumber, but the very dead from their graves. Woo-wee. Man. Well, when that trumpet sounds and people are coming out of the graves, that's going to be really something. People that don't know what's going to happen, you're talking about some freaked out people. They're going to think that movie, what are they, what's that thing where the, the dead, they're coming up with this, zombies? Yeah, they're going to think zombies come up. And little do they know, God Almighty is fulfilling His word that He said in Scripture. Leviticus 23, 23 says, And again, Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to Yahuwah, a zikron memorial, a mikra hakodesh. The shofar is an instrument that is very much associated with war. Nehemiah 4, 18-22, Ezekiel 33. It was used to destroy the walls of Jericho. In Joel 2.1, it sounds the start of the day of the Almighty, the time in which God will make war on His enemies. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion. And sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of Yahweh has come. For it is a nigh uh, at hand, right in your midst it has come. This again matches perfectly with the New Testament where Shaul describes the master's coming with a trumpet immediately preceding the day of Yahweh. This brings us to the next name for this feast day. It's called Yom Hadin. A day of judgment. Not only did the shofar sound the call for war, but also the coronation of kings. When kings are coronated, the trumpet and the shofar would blow. Isaiah 27, 13 says, It will come about also in that day that a great trumpet will be blown. And those who were perishing in the land of Assyria and who were scattered in the land of Egypt will come and worship Yahuwah in the holy mountain at Jerusalem. The word blown is the word takah, and it is, occurs about 70 times. It's the action of sounding, blowing. It's blowing the trumpet as a summons to ritual service, to worship, to celebration. Trumpets are sounded as a prelude to destruction of Jericho, a call to arms to engage in battle. Trumpets are also sounded to bring an end to battle. In Zechariah 9.14, the trumpet is sounded by Yahweh himself as a sign of the apocalyptic end of the age when the kingdom of Elohim will triumph over all oppression and over all kingdoms of both the fallen angels and of man. Hallelujah. Trumpets are also sounded to warn of an enemy invasion and as a signal for the commencement of the coronation ceremonies. So the spirit is likened unto the blowing from within man. So blowing the trumpet is like releasing the spirit. We could not communicate if it were not for the ability to blow air over our vocal cords. So the spirit of man communicates this way of his spirit breathing over the cords and words and sounds are created. God breathed life into man and the spirit hovered. Of old, the blowing of trumpets had been the signal for releases host on their march through the wilderness, as it afterwards summoned them to warfare and proclaimed or marked days of public rejoicing and feasts, as well as the beginning of their months. The object of it is expressly stated to have been for a memorial, that they might be remembered before Yahuwah. It being especially added, I am Yahuwah your Elohim, it was so to speak the host of Elohim assembled, waiting for their leader, the people of Elohim united, to proclaim him as their king. Woo-wee. Because this day is associated with Elohim's judgment, it is also considered a time of repentance, Shuva, in preparation for Yom Kippur. Do you want to be remembered before him on these 10 days before the books are opened? Yes, I want to be remembered. At the blast of the priest's trumpets, they arranged themselves, as it were, under his banner and before his throne, and this symbolical confession and proclamation of him as Yahweh their Elohim brought them before him to be remembered and saved. And so every season of blowing the trumpets 
whether at new moons, at the Feast of Trumpets, or New Year's Day, at other festivals, in the sabbatical and year of Jubilee, or in the time of war, was a public acknowledgement that Yahweh is king. Can I get an amen? amen? So finally, this day is known as Yom HaKadosh. I'm sorry, Yom HaKaseh, the hidden day. It was a day that could not be calculated, only looked for. Can we declare him together right now as king? Can we say, Yahweh is our king? Yahweh is our king. Hallelujah. Accordingly, we find the same symbols adopted in the figurative language of the New Testament. As of old, the sound of the trumpet summoned the congregation before the Almighty at the door of the tabernacle. So his elect shall be summoned by the sound of the trumpet in that day of Messiah's coming. And not only the living, but those who also had slept, the dead in Messiah, as it says in Thessalonians 4. Similarly, the heavenly hosts are marshaled to the war of successive judgments, Revelation 8, 2 and 10, 7. Till, as the seventh angel sounded, Messiah is proclaimed king in this last trumpet. He is proclaimed king. Universal. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Messiah and of his Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess he is Lord. So the shofar announces the day of Yahweh, when Yahweh said he would send his angels to gather his elect at Yahushua's second coming. Psalm 98, 4 says, Shout joyfully to Yahweh, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy. Sing praises. Sing praises to Yahweh with the lyre. With the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn. Shout joyfully before the king. Hallelujah. So the last seven trumpets. Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel sounded. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of Yahweh and of his Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit... In their, on their thrones before Elohim fell on their faces. They came out of the thrones, fell on their faces, and worshipped him, saying, We give thanks to you, O Yahweh Elohe, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets, and the saints, the holy ones, and those who fear your name the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. Going on to 19. And the temple of Elohim, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds of peals and of thunder and an earthquake and great severe hailstorm. These are the likings that mankind have never seen before are happening again. If you've never heard of the Carolina Bays, I would encourage you to Google it and look at it because it is a, a grouping of indentions in the ground that can only be seen by LiDAR technology because the, the, the forest and the, the trees and the, the grass cover, you can't see it from the air. But with LiDAR, they were able to see these it looks like the surface of the moon over in the Carolinas. And all of these circles have the same mathematical shape. And so when they draw an X through, or a, a line through one, one side to the other and through this, because it's elliptical, all of those lines going through the length of it are pointing to one place. Then they discovered a group of them over in Nebraska. And the same thing, they're all same shapes, thousands of them. And they're pointing to the same place that the ones in the Carolinas are pointing to. And they all point to this place up at the Great Lakes called Saginaw Bay. And so what they have figured out was, because mathematics are here, you can tell the, the distance that these things traveled from the impact of this meteor or, or asteroid, hit this glacier that was in the Great Lakes, and it ejected massive-sized ice boulders all across the United States. And when they landed, it created these Carolina Bay's imprints. And so we're talking way worse than that. I mean, this was a major blow. 
God says what's coming, the earth has never seen before. Just amazing. So today is also the new moon. When we pass from, this, from these simple scriptural directions to what traditional records of the actual observance of the new moons in the temple, our difficulties increase. For this and New Year's Day are just such feasts in connection with such superstition would most readily grow up. From the notions which the sages had that at the changes of seasons, divine judgments were initiated. I'm going to say that again. At the changes of seasons, divine judgments were initiated. You say, well, Brother Mark, I don't know if I buy that. Well, there's a scripture in God's word that says, at the turn of the year, the kings go to war. Imagine that. Divine judgments are being initiated at season changes. Okay? So the three pilgrimage feasts from, uh, this is from, well, I won't read that because we'll, I won't get into that just yet. So, if any special prayers were said in the temple on New Moon's days, tradition has not preserved them. The only formula dating from that period being that used on the first thing of the moon, blessed be he who reneweth the moons. To this, the synagogue towards the close of the third century added the following. Blessed be he by whose word the heavens were created and by the breath of whose mouth all the hosts thereof were formed. Hallelujah, what a truth that is. What a truth that is. He appointed them a law and a time, speaking of the illuminaries that are in the heavens, that they should not overstep their course. They rejoice and are glad to perform the will of their creator. Author of truth, their operations are truth. He spoke to the moon, be thou renewed, and be thou beautiful diadem, the hope of man, or Israel, who, was, who shall one day be quickened again like the moon at the coming of the Messiah, and praise their creator for his glorious kingdom. Blessed be he who renews the moons at a yet much later period, a very superstitious prayer was next inserted. New moon's day, though apparently observed at the time of Amos as a day of rest, is not so kept by the Jews in our days, nor indeed was the absence of work enjoined in the divine law on that day, according to our brother Judah. So from Scripture we know with what solemnly the first day of the seventh month as observed at the time of Ezra. How deeply moved the people were by the public reading and explanation of the Torah. Been gone for 70 years. Which so many of them came like a strange sound, all the more solemn, that after so long a period they heard it again on that soil which, as it were, bore witness to its truth. In the New Testament, there is no reference to our Messiah having ever attended this feast in Jerusalem, as it was equally celebrated in all the synagogues of Israel. But in the synagogue out of Jerusalem, the horn, not trumpet, was blown on New Year's Day. So yet there seems some allusion to the blowing of the horn in the writings of Paul. We have already stated, according to Mamedes, one of the main purposes was to rouse men to repentance. In fact, the commentator of Mamedes makes use of the following words to denote the meaning of the blowing of trumpets. Rouse ye, rouse ye from your slumber. Awake, awake from your sleep, you who mind vanity. For slumber most heavy falls upon you because you're not paying attention to God's kingdom or his ways. And there they are out there, people, you see them. They have no clue what's happening today or what's happening in 10 days from today. No clue. But you're, what did God say? You're my witnesses, says the Almighty. So take it to heart, before whom you are given account in the judgment. May not some such formula have also been anciently used in the synagogue, and may not the remembrance of it have been pre present to the mind of the apostle when he wrote in Ephesians 5.14, Wherefore it is said, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Messiah shall give you light. If so, we may possibly find an allusion to the appearance of the new moon, especially to that of the seventh month. In these words of one of the preceding verses, Ephesians 5.8, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in, the, in the, the, the master. Walk as children of light. Can I get an amen? Amen. So Elohim ascended with a blast. 
Yahweh with the voice of the shofar in Psalms. Blow the shofar at the new moon at the time appointed for our festival day. Praise him with the blast of the shofar. And on the third day, while morning, that there were voices and lightning and a thick cloud upon the mountain. And the voice of the shofar was very loud. And all the people in the camp trembled at the sound of such an awesome and amazing blast. So when the voice of the shofar grew very strong, Moshe spoke. Elohim answered him by voice. And all the people saw the voices and the flames and the voice of the shofar. The mountain was smoking and the people saw and they trembled and they stood from afar scared out of their mind because they had never seen anything like it. Our God and God of our forefathers sound the great shofar of freedom. Raise the banner to gather our exiles. That should be your prayer all the time. You should be saying, Oh, Elohim of our forefathers, sound the shofar for our freedom and raise the banner and gather our exiles from the four corners of the earth. Bring them to your holy place. That should be our prayer and our hope. Draw near our scattered ones from among the nations. Gather us in our dispersions from the ends of the earth. Bring us to Zion, your city with gladness, and to Yerushalayim, your holy temple with everlasting joy. There we will perform before you our obligatory offerings as commanded us in your Torah through Moshe, your servant, from the source of your glory, as it is said, and on the day of your joy and on your festivals and new moons, you will sound the trumpets upon your offerings and they will be for you a remembrance before Elohim. I am Yahuwah, your Elohim. From, and this is the prayer that said from Rosh Hashanah or from Yom Teruah uh, in the uh, Musaf prayer. So that should be our prayer. We should be saying, God, gather our people. Gather, raise, raise them up. Gather your people together. So happy are the people who know how to evoke the favor of the creator by the means of the blast. Can we have everybody say, bring your shofars up. Can we hear a blast? Let's, let's hear a blast. Happy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Happy are those who know how to evoke the favor of their creator by the means of the blessed. For when they blow the shofar, the blessed Holy One arises from the throne of judgment and sits upon the throne of mercy. He, he changes from the throne of judgment and moves over to the throne of mercy. Woo-wee. And a... And it is that Elohim is filled with compassion for them, transforming the divine quality of justice into the quality of mercy. Man, what an awesome thing. Yes. Question, is there anything celestial in, in the setting of the sun yesterday? And the reason I ask is that uh, we had just this epic vantage last night and you know, watched it as it descended. And we saw what appeared to be t like morning stars on either side of the sun. I got pictures to prove it. I've never seen anything like it. It was mind-blowing that we, we saw these. Now, you may have seen a, a comet because that comet that we talked about. Nishura was in the east. We were looking west. Okay. So, All right. and it was there for a little while. I'll show you pictures. If okay. there's nothing known, then maybe it was just a, awesome. treat, a treat for us. Okay, awesome. So the only one that's, that's significant up there is the comet that's, that's in the Virgin right now. Yeah. So since this is the new moon, how was it declared? This is in Philo, Laws 2.41. It says, Now there are ten festivals in number, as the law sets them down. The first is that which... Now this is what was happening in Yeshua's day. The first is that which anyone will perhaps be astonished to hear called a festival. This festival is every day. The second festival is the seventh day, which the Hebrews in their native language call the Shabbat. The third is that which comes after the conjunction, which happens on the day of the new moon in each month. Psalm 27, 5 says, For in the day of trouble he will conceal me his, in his tabernacle, his sukkah. The word translated here, conceal, is yitzpenani, which means to protect by hiding away, as when Moses was hidden from Pharaoh, his men, by his mother in, in the basket. Very interesting. Oh, so... 
we're, ending, we're going to end this Yom Tov service with this. So last week, this was put on my mind to talk about this week. And as I had said, we see this mercy of God, this patience of God, that He's giving people 10 days out. Really, it's 40 days out, but those who don't know about the 40 are definitely going to know when they hear the sound of the shofar blow. They're going to get 10 days. Very merciful, very gracious, very patient. So I, I was prompted last week to dig in this week about his, when he passed before Moses, the character traits, what he says. And so we're going to use two of them today. We're going to talk about another one on Yom Kippur. Well, I'll show you. So in Exodus 34, 6, Yahuwah passed before him and proclaimed, Yahuwah, Yahuwah, an El, compassionate, showing favor, patient, great in kindness and truth, watching over kindness for thousands, forgiving crookedness and transgression and sin, but by no means leaving unpunished, visiting the crookedness of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. So in the purple, favor and patience, we're going to talk about today. On Yom Kippur, we're going to talk about the ones in red, forgiving crookedness, transgression, and sin. We're going to talk about the green one, compassionate, in the first day of first uh, uh, high day of Sukkot, and the other one in blue on the last day, the great day. So those are what we're going to discuss. But today it's going to be about forgiving or favor and patience. So let's see what it says. Favor. The word is Hanan. It means to be gracious, considerate, to show favor. This word is found in ancient Ugaritic with much of the same meaning as in biblical Hebrew. But in modern Hebrew, Hanan seems to stress the stronger meaning of to pardon or to show mercy. Ten days out, God is showing this character trait of his of Hanan. The word occurs 80 times in the Hebrew, Tanakh. The first time in Genesis 33, 5, the children which God hath graciously given thy servant. Generally, this word implies the extending of favor. How many of you want favor? Often when it is neither expected or deserved. How many of you know that it isn't deserving to you? Yes. Hanan may express generosity, a gift from the heart. I mean, you know that God gave you a gift through Messiah Yahushua, yes? God especially is the source of undeserved favor, and He is asked repeatedly for such gracious acts as only He can do. Now, I have to stress this. I didn't major in English. I failed, okay? But in reading the Hebrew, I, they, they break it down that this word Hanan appears in a verb, a noun, and an adjective. All three. Now, verb is action, noun, person, place, or thing, but I realized that the adjective, because again, I didn't, I mean, I flunked this stuff, I didn't know, but I realized that none of us can have this in an adjective form. It only appears for him. That means he is always gracious, he is always merciful, but we are not. And that's the adjective. The adjective says it, is, it, it explains who this is all time. Always. But it never appears for humanity. Because we're not. We're not. I'm not in my own household, I'm sorry to say. And I repent here today before God Almighty that I need to be better at being gracious. I need to be better at being merciful. I need to be better about being slow to anger and having patience. 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 I need more patience. Because when I read this again of how patient my God is, even though I know it breaks me down, and I realize here 10 days out, what God wants to deal with us as a people, as a community, 10 days out. Only He can do. Only He can do. Undeserved mercy. So this last word, patient, I put it last because it's so awesome. 
I think you're going to find it as amazing as I did when I read it. The Hebrew version of it is Erech. It's an adjectival form derived from Iraq, meaning long-suffering, indicating a slowness to anger or patience. The term occurs around 15 times with this meaning. Erech is commonly predicated of Yahweh in reference to his patience, his toleration of his people's weaknesses. How many of you are patient and tolerant of your spouse or your children's weaknesses in your eyes? In our own eyes, we think people are weak, but they're not because in God's eyes, they are strong. And we have to start putting on His eyes and get our own eyes out of the way and see people as He sees them. Me included. First and foremost, it starts here, okay? Despite their provocation of Him, it is true with respect to other nations as well. Where In Jonah, where the Assyrian nation is in view. However, the reference in Nathan Nahum 1.3 also indicates that Yahuwah's slowness to anger does not mean that he will overlook sin and fail to ultimately judge the guilty. The Greek word gives us even more amazing stuff. It also means to be patient, long-suffering, to bear with, to be long-tempered. Long-tempered. Oh. Is rendered by the verb to be long-suffering in Luke and in Thessalonians, to be patient. Note this. Long-suffering is that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation which does not hastily retaliate or promptly punish. How many of you want that all the time? How many of you want that to be your character trait that you don't want to fail whenever these things come upon you and then you all of a sudden you get angry, you get impatient, and you start judging I'm so glad that the scriptures say that none of us is without sin and we all have these problems. I'm glad that we all need to ask for these things from God to be upon us, to transform us, to change us, that we can be better witnesses for Him in His kingdom. It isn't not just about knowing the Word. It's not just about coming for feasts and coming for Shabbat. How are we acting at home? How are we acting out when people are watching that don't know the Torah? We're like, ah, they won't know if I do this. and they, they could care less. They don't even know that I'm doing it. No, but God does. God Almighty does. He sees it. Patience is the quality that does not surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial. It is the opposite of despondency and is associated with with hope. Yes. I wondered when she would tell on me. <laughs> it's interesting that we have found this to be the case in our own life, that when the Father wants to teach us something, he puts you right in the midst of what he wants to teach you. So when Mark is talking about patience or frustration, let me give you an example. So we have a confined home, and my husband's trying to maybe study, concentrate on something, and we have 10 grandchildren that might show up, and, and phone calls, and maybe he's trying to take a conference call, or he has online Bible studies, and there's lots of background noise, and of course, something will happen that is a big distraction. And it's a test of patience. It's a test of, now maybe some of you aren't in that test, but for us, it's a test of patience. Can you not be frustrated and focus and keep your eyes on me even when there is a lot of commotion going on? And for you, maybe the noise looks different. Maybe it's something else. But that's an example of what it looks like for us. And I find it interesting that by tradition, the call of the shofar today is a call of mercy and compassion. Yes. It, it goes both ways. It's a call out to us and him calling back. Uh, it's a call out from us to our father and our father back to us. So to elaborate on what she said, sadly there are times also that the lights are left on and there's 50 lights in the house on. And I go through and shut them all off and 
an hour later, there's 50 lights back on again. I go back to and I shut it off, and an hour later, there's 50 lights are back on again. And it's building, and it, the frustration of the frustration of the meter going like this is building. And then it happens again, and the lights come all back on, and the door is left open, and the air conditioner is running, and I'll say in a You're, you're sucking the cold air out into the, into the heavens, and the people next door have a thermal uh, uh, a gun, and they're going, look at that poor guy's air going out into there. No, teasing, but, you know, these things happen, and, and I'm, I'm being honest and confessing to you that these kind of frustrations happen with me. And I, there's a lot of people in my home, and, huh? <laughs> so... I have to work on these things even though I'm in, I'm in the middle of a thought and I'm trying to study and I'm, I go to get something, I see all the lights. I, I have to let it go. I have to be merciful. I have to be gracious. I have to be patient. I, have, I cannot let those things, as my daughter-in-laws are smiling, I have to be patient. I have to be, I can't worry about the kitchen light on. <laughs> I have to let it go. I can't worry about those things and let it bother me. I have to let it go. And you know what? Because I recognize it, God's working on me. And I'm telling the Almighty, I don't want it anymore. I don't, I don't want to do that. The flesh rises up. Like Paul says, you know, why, do, why am I still battling this? Why am I still going in? The, why am I still having these issues? My spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And you all have your own little scenario that you're weak in. And I'm saying to you today that God Almighty, 10 days out, is calling on you. He's telling you, look, come to me. Come to me and confess it and say, I don't want it anymore. I'll take care of it. If you just give it to me, I'll take care of it. I'm your God and I'm your King. And I'll take care of your weaknesses because I'm merciful, I'm gracious, and I'm patient. Yes. So, Mark, you're not alone. Um, I know that yesterday I was really struggling because I was, and this was from the start of Shabbat last night. I was stressed. I was I was frustrated and I was irritated because there were certain things I wanted to get done before I came today. And, and it's like I was convicted because the father's like, he doesn't want me feeling that way on his Shabbat. And not only that, it being a high Shabbat because of Yom Teruah. And, and in my mind, in, in the flesh, I was like, can I just get a task done from A to B with zero interference? Wouldn't that be awesome? But unfortunately, in this world, that's unrealistic. It's like, well, can't it be realistic? So, so it would be really nice. But yeah, you're, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. And Amen. I know I'm not the only Amen. one. Would you all stand with me, please? So my hope, my message, my heartfelt thoughts to you today is you're 10 days out from God's act of mercy and grace. We don't have to wait until Yom Kippur. We can start today. We can begin by acknowledging the things that even you forgot about and digging down deep in the things that can be a real challenge in your life and can be hurting other people and bothersome to other people in our own character traits. We can ask God to turn it around because he's ready to go from the chair of judgment to the chair of mercy. The chair of judgment to the chair of mercy. Yes, Ashanti. So, Mark, as we're, you know, getting ready to enter, well, it's the end of Teruah, right? It's a day of shouting, of rejoicing, of blasting, a day of remembrance, a day we're supposed to adhere to. So, as you were talking about Isaiah 43, particularly verse 10, 
there were a few things that really stood out to me. And one is, once again, Amba, he chooses us. And the response to a choice is also a choice. So we have to choose him. Amen. And so in choosing, it, it takes, especially for the God that we serve, in a world where we can see, touch, taste so many things, it's a little kind of hard to have that belief, to, to be able to be firm and trust in something that's truly not seen. But the key here is that we would discern it, to perceive it, to understand it. Yes. So as you were reading um, Yeshiyahu 43 and then Nehemiah, um, chapter 8, there was something that just stood out to me as you were going through that. And it, just in a few verses you read, I think it came up four times. And it says that when the priest decided on the first day of the seventh month, Yom Teruah, okay, so sometimes we're busy, for instance, giving a shout, giving a blast, giving a joy. But there's something to that. You have to hear. Yes. It's like a war cry. Yes. You have to hear the sound. You have to receive the sound. You have to Amen. receive the message. Amen. And so it was saying that we, it said it, they caused, or Yahuwah caused the people to understand. Amen. Bina. I mean, yeah, bina, it's a former derivative of yes. it. To understand, it requires an in a deliberate intelligence <laughs> and a skill to be able to hear. So even as you and Ms. Webb was talking about the affairs of your household and the situations that Abba puts us in, we, are to, we have to hear and discern him. So for the next 10 days, the, days, the 10 days of awe, I, ex I exhort each and every one here to truly ask Abba for yes. a heart of understanding yes. and wisdom to perceive and to hear yes. what it is that he is trying to tell us and speak to us in this very day, in this Amen. hour. Amen. We have to choose to hear him. We have to choose to want to abide with him yes. as we are getting ready to approach tabernacles, yes. the day of him dwelling <laughs> in us. Us. We have to receive that. He is not forceful. He is not boastful. He is a loving gentleman. Yes. And you talked about his rakamin. You talked about his mercy. Yes. And that he gives it to us because he knows that we are hard of hearing. Yep. But it said the ozun, the ear that is brought, <laughs> that is able to perceive sound here. Yes. Once again, this word, this world came into being because he spoke and the words, the frequency was able to hear and yes. to do what it was that he was called, what he called out to do. Yes. And so we have to have that ambition to just be able yes. to be, to Shema, yes. as Ralphie was saying in the announcement, to Shema, to hear and to obey. And when we hear and obey, we can receive his instructions, which is our protective covering. Because when we when we reside with, under his protective government, we don't have anything to worry about. We don't have anything to fear. We can, there can be perfect order for everybody that's around, that's er, for everybody that's involved, so that when you turn on the fan in your house, you use it for the purpose of it being used. But when it's done being used, you turn it off. <laughs> and so that is the way our lives are. Yeah. We have to be purposeful and yeah. doing these things. And then on a day like this, we can truly rejoice yeah. because we are obedient. We are answering the call. We are giving a shout. We can say hallelujah, yes. Yahuwah, for just giving us this day that we may rejoice in you. Amen. We may lift you up. We may return home. As even you mentioned the words to that song, because this is not our home. And once again, why isn't this our home? 
because we did not choose to Shema. We did not have a heart of understanding. But now in this day, in this hour, may we perceive Amen. and may we act for that understanding, Amen. that intelligence to continue to build our lives upon him, not upon our own foundation, but upon him. He is our Sifra. Our, our, our book of instruction, he has given it to us. And so we are to utilize those instructions to be successful. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then when we go out there and we're shouting and we're giving along uh, an alarm song, maybe uh, ears might be open well, we're gonna to do hear it in, and we're to We're going to do it in here. All right. We're we'll do it in here. here. That's yeah. fine. But yes. Good word. May, may the angels That's right. hear our cry. Hallelujah. Obey. Amen. Good word. Father, we thank you for the word today. With, yes, go ahead. You can clap. Yes. Thank you for the words today, Father, that you've spoken to us. Thank you for the message, the, the, the teaching, Father. May it hit our heart. As Ashanti said, may we hear, may it be something that we act upon, we do. We don't just sit idly up upon it. Maybe we act upon these things, Father, because this is a special day, and we've got special days ahead of us, and we want to understand and get it. We want to we want to continue to be sanctified in you and not be the same person. So, Father, we thank you that you are the one that, that sanctifies us and brings us into that state of what you want us to be in your kingdom. So we glorify you and praise you for your words. We thank you, Father, because you are merciful and you are gracious. You are patient, and we give you thanks. In Yeshua's name, amen. Now, we, Polly, I'll need that. Uh, can we get all of you that want to blow shofars, if you can come up here? And I need three people that want to be the blowers of the tekiah, the shavarim, and the uh, teruah. So I'll need those three people as well. Ralphie, I know you're going to be one of them, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, if, uh, kids, if you want to show a, a horn to blow, there are horns up here for you to blow. We're gonna all right listen up if we're gonna do the hundred calls i need three people i need a person that's gonna do the tequila which is one single long blast i need a person that can do the chevrine which is three broken blows and then the terua is the nine short bursts rapid fire if we don't have those then we'll just do another long blowing for uh, if we don't have three volunteers we'll do another long blowing Okay, we have a long one. You can do the three. Does anybody want to do the nine short blasts? You can? Okay, Polly says she can do the nine short blasts. Okay, so uh, the, your, you, when I say tequila, that's you. When I say shavarim, that's you. Shavarim is the three. When I say teruah, 
That's Polly with the nine short blasts in rapid fire. Are you ready? Okay. Takia. Shavarim. Takia. Terua. No, 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 no. You're Shavarim. Terua. Takia. Shavarim. Takia. Tarua. That's you, Polly. Takia. Shavarim. Takia again. Tarua. That's you. Okay. Takia. Shavarim. Takia. Shavarim. Takia. Takia again. Shavarim. Takia. Takia one more time. Tarua. You. No, you're. Huh? It's the nine short blast. <laughs> no. Takia. Takia again. Tarua, one more time. Takia. All right, we are now entering into the big, grand uh, Takia Hagadol. So we all are going to blow together, and we'll do it on the count of three. One long, long blast at the count of three. Now we get to say Shabbat Shalom.